So it is good to be here, and it's, uh, as I was thinking on uh, what to bring, of course, with being tabernacles, you have thoughts of uh, the tabernacles of old, uh, those temporary dwellings, and it was a good reminder uh, to teach the next generations of uh, coming out of Egypt and that great story. And uh, we even have a bit of a tradition in this country with uh, brush arbors. You know, they were they were likened to some uh, tabernacles and just a, a place of meeting. Amen. But um, I got to focusing on the temple. And just as uh, Brother Seth was, was talking about evangelizing to some extent to people around us. Uh, that's what this talk is going to be focused on and uh, how to just break it down and make it make it more simple and um, not be so concerned to get caught up in all the doctrine out there and have to be concerned about getting all these other doctrines down pat so you can speak to somebody it's really not that difficult and that's a hard way to go about it so the approach I'm talking about here uh, would be to you know stay in scripture as much as you can there's other uh, profitable things to be learned of course but uh, you stay focused in the scripture and that's going to help bring somebody back that's called. You're only going to get those that are called anyway. So thankfully, we don't have to be so concerned about that. We can just give a word when it's appropriate and not, not give too much. You know, I've been through that. Hammer people with so much that they forget what you started off with, and you probably did too. But um, with that approach, I do want to focus on the temple and there's much to be said about the temple in scripture and there's basically two definitions for it in in the Greek now uh, Hebrew is a different story but in the Greek you have Huron and Naos those two types of temples and we'll get into some of that a little bit later but for the purposes of keeping it basic, excuse me. We'll start off with this idea and it really comes from uh, the doctrine out there that most of the church world, the Western church world anyway, uh, holds to about, you know, there's gonna be this third temple built and these sacrifices have to have to begin and before this and this will happen and they've all got a lot of that memorized and um, so I would I would suggest you use their momentum you know from my understanding of judo and it's very little uh, you use the opponent's momentum to your advantage so you know we can do this with uh, people out there we encounter and it's a soft way to uh, approach them as well you know you're not beating them over the head and you're you're using this method and you know it tends to go a little 
a little better in the long run, from my experience anyway. But with this idea of the third temple, and that's why I thought about that, that title, Can You Count to Three? Uh, we're going to examine just a little bit. We're not going to get into all that doctrine because I think you can get to the point, like Brother Seth said, to where it becomes fruitless. You get bogged down in it so much that you lose the main, main point anyway. And listening to the speakers this week, uh, you know, I always add something to my notes because, oh, that, that really fits and that'll fit in. And you want to add to it and tweak it and, you know, be careful not to go off on too many rabbit trails, which I can do. But uh, in one lesson, they were talking about... Um, how to spot false doctrine. And uh, I remembered this from the past. Uh, if you liken it to uh, counterfeiters of money, and I know this stuff's counterfeit too. We're not going to get into that. But uh, from my understanding, these people that go after counterfeiters, they're not concerned about all the different types of counterfeit money out there. They only focus on the original. So they understand if they can know the original in every way possible, they'll more easily recognize the counterfeit. So that is the simple way to approach that and the most effective. So with this third temple that they speak of, um, you know, I would start out and be, be somewhat agreeable to them. Yeah, you know, yeah, we do have to have a, a third temple. Yeah, we do have to sacrifice, that's right. And with that, you at least get their attention and they're gonna, they're gonna start walking with that a little bit more. And of course, they're not gonna know where you're going exactly with it. But if you can begin to guide and direct them in that area of Scripture, you're just bringing them back to Scripture, they don't realize they're, they're getting out of it. But you can slowly, and, and like I said, it does help if you keep it simple. And people today, you know, we're accustomed to these little sound bites. We're accustomed to... I don't know, 20 or 30 second clips. I don't know, they, they probably have a stat on that that I'm not aware of, but it's, it's a very short window. And the attention span is small. You, uh, you, I'm sure you've encountered it. A couple minutes in and people's eyes glaze over and you've lost them. So you learn just to back off and be quiet at that point. Maybe there'll be another opportunity but just plant seeds and move on. God knows who he's called. He'll, he'll work on them. Amen. And leave that up to him. You do, you do what you're uh, called to do and go on. Pastor Dan mentioned earlier that uh, like Brother Seth came across this message by one teaching another. 
each one teaching one. And that's, that's the approach and the concept I'm talking about here. But you know, if you're going to teach somebody, you know, a good teacher, whether the message is simple or complex, the teacher can break it down to something simple for everybody to understand. And that, that's the mark of a good preacher and a good teacher and a good prophet. And by the way, I appreciate hearing that about the uh, the prophecy. You know, we have a, a lot of that in the church world today. And I don't think they understand that the primary, you know, our mind usually goes and mind, mind does as well. When you hear of prophecy, well, you think of the prophets of old and you think of, of them foretelling. Uh, I remember studying in the Vines Expository about the term uh, prophesying and the prophets of old would foretell the word they got the word from God and it was thus saith the Lord and it came true if they were true prophets but there's also another definition and, and they broke it down in vines as the previous being uh, the foretelling of the word and then the latter being the forth telling so established truths in scripture if you're telling someone about it or teaching uh then you are prophesying in that in that regard so it's uh it's important to keep that distinction and have your mind there when you hear those terms i know i know that's been helpful for me And I have noticed, too, some uh, the speakers this week that a few of them can count to three. You know, Dan, he had uh, the conception, birth, and death of America. That was three. He did well counting those. Uh, Brother Martin, he had uh, three on the cross, our Lord and those two thieves. And of course, uh, Pastor Benson now, uh, you know, he's way above that. He, uh, he kind of couples, you know, calculus with quantum physics or something. I don't know what his, what his brain's doing exactly. But that being said, he's a good teacher and he can condense it down to things that are simple to understand. So back to this idea that the church world is so prevalent today with this third temple. And they talk of these sacrifices and all this has to happen or we're not going anywhere yet, you know. And it's, it's caused the big Christian army just to stand idle. And they have very little... Uh, urge to move forward and to evangelize other other than their version of it and their their light message you know but as you all well know oftentimes the simple things are the profound messages those are the things that really count most of the time 
So if we get into the temple sacrifices of old, you know, we can draw parallels. Uh, but basically the old temple was in three parts. You know, you had the outer court, the holy place, the holy of holies. Where that Ark of the Covenant was, where that high priest only could go in once a year. And these new doctrines tend to eliminate the significance there. Uh, and I don't think, not really realizing the change that came with the new covenant is so central to our walk. And it was such a dynamic change. I don't think we understand the gravity of it. Even, even us at times, you know, we're so accustomed to it and so familiar. Uh, sometimes it, it loses a bit of its uh, zeal with us. But to think that he would use us in any way uh, is incredible enough but to use this in the way he does in this new covenant uh, is just uh, really an awesome thing and really something we should focus on from time to time and keep it fresh and keep reminded keep reminded of the gravity of it So the temple of old, and of course it was you know, built by Solomon first of all, then was destroyed, later was built up by Nehemiah, Ezra, and it, it was quite the sight, apparently, as we know. Uh, even the disciples marveled at it, and hey, they, they visited it every feast, even though they were in the synagogues, in, the, in their areas, uh, on weekly Sabbaths and other days, um, you know, when the Holy Feast came, they visited that temple Amen. and they marveled at it. Uh, and we'll, we'll go there. Let's go to Matthew 23. And we'll see what they thought. And it, this strikes me as important with uh, those men being so familiar with it. that they even marveled at it. But let's start with uh, verse 33 and we'll lay a little groundwork first. But, uh, and this was touched upon earlier. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them ye shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth and the blood of righteous Abel from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Berechias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. 
O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stoneth them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So he, he really put it to those enemies at the time and uh, was foretelling about this coming destruction. And they, they perceived at least at times that he was talking about them. And he was essentially calling them bad figs and, and that they were, this destruction was coming on them pretty soon. And of course, the disciples asked him when that would be a question that should come to mind. And he did answer that. But the point is, this second, this second temple was going to be destroyed. And of course, we know it was physically destroyed in 70 AD. And but Jesus said something very important in John. We'll, we'll go there next. We'll go to John chapter 2. And this put a little turn on everybody's thinking. Chapter 2, and we'll start with 18. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us seeing that thou doest these things. Jesus answered and said unto him, unto them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, forty and six years was this temple in building, and will thou rear it up in three days? But he spoke of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. It's interesting, it's three days as well. You know, they, uh, it's been said there's three kinds of people in this world. Those that can count and those that can't. So we should focus on the people that can count first. And maybe the others will learn. And you could go back to them if time allows. But when Jesus said, destroy this temple, and he was talking about himself, that's where this definition and this translation of the word into English for temple was naos. So it's very important to to see where those appear in scripture so you can distinguish between the Huron, which was always that physical temple, and the Naos. And I'm not sure if every time it's, it's used in, in the way of the Lord's body or, or our bodies, but um, most often it is. And in this case, we know it is. So if this second temple's destroyed, 
And the third one does have to come, and I'm in agreement with that. The third one does have to come. Well, how does it come about? How we need to think about that. And we have people telling us all the time, well, yeah, these modern-day Jews, they're going to build another temple, and they don't really know what they're doing, so they're going to you know, sacrifice these animals, and they're going to you know, usher in the second coming. Uh, these people who are Christ deniers, it's really uh, quite a con job they've pulled. And, but there are people, and there are no doubt some that, that are ready to come out of it. Uh, Brother Marlin's got a uh, Bible study going every Sunday night in his area. And I th the youngest man there is like in his late 30s, and the rest are all, you know, over 50 anyway, or over 55. And these men have been in church all their lives. I believe every one of them have been. And, you know, they keep going over the same things. And they're, they're really just getting uh, tired of that, the mundane message. And they're not growing. And they haven't grown for years. And they recognize it. But they just they kept sitting there. And they just kept going through the motions. You know, until the little words dropped to them. And it and it woke him up. And of course, uh, Marlon was familiar with, with all of them. He was friends with many of them. But that piqued their interest enough where he got them in there and they're consistently going. It's been going on for over a year. And he's feeding them a little at a time. And you know, these, these little simple concepts are, that he's teaching them are just mind-blowing to them, you know. And course they start off basically with Abraham and go from there and it's you know he's taking his time just an hour or two on Sunday nights and uh, but they can't get enough of it they keep going back and they keep reading scripture like they never have before and seeing things that they haven't seen their whole lives and seeing things that we think are so simple but they were just blinded to them, you know, they just, they can't see it. Uh, and that's another tactic I'll use. Uh, somebody that's familiar with scripture, there's many of them out there. They may not understand the scripture, but they're familiar with the stories. They're familiar with the characters. And maybe they'll speak of Abraham that, oh yes, uh, we know this prophecy's true because uh, Genesis 12, Abraham was promised a great nation. They, you know, how they stop with that because they're never taught about the expanded blessings where he would be promised to be, become a multitude of nations. Amen. That hurts their modern theology, so that's just not brought up. Another good example of knowing your scripture so you can go to that. But anyway, when they make the statement to me, that, yeah, Abraham was promised a great nation in... Genesis 12. Well, I'll say, no, that's not true. And they're thinking the whole time, well, I don't know about Abraham. You know, I think it's somebody else, and I'm pretty simple and mistaken. So then I'll just point out, well, his name wasn't Abraham. He, it is the same man, but uh, his name was Abram then. And, well, okay, you know, you're getting me on semantics. Well, but it's more than that. 
because when you go to 17, that's when his name was changed, chapter 17 of Genesis. That's when his name was changed to Abraham, meaning the father of a multitude of nations. So, so right there you can slip to them a hard truth that they probably haven't considered. And all of a sudden they, they walked into it themselves and they suddenly see, wow, that's, they got something to deal with anyway. You know, and they may just block it out and go on. Even if they do at the time, it's, you planted a seed. And every time they go back to that, they'll probably think of it. And they'll probably think, yeah, that is what Abraham means. Now, how do we reconcile this with, with this eschatology of our day? And it, they can begin to see it just doesn't fit so well. So those are, those are the approaches I use, at least in those areas. And I think it'd be beneficial uh, if we were to employ those. It, just keep it boiled down, keep it simple. They're used to the sound bites, give them sound bites. But you have to know, of course, back to the counterfeit thing, well, you have to know the original very well to be able to do that. And hey, the training that goes on here, you're more than capable. And I'm sure uh, do it on a regular basis. But this still doesn't reconcile this temple of our day. And again, they speak of this temple, they speak of sacrifice. So I would take them to Romans. Let's go there. We'll go to Romans 12. And you can tell them about a sacrifice in the New Covenant. By the way, it wouldn't hurt, them to, uh, hurt you to remind them that the New Covenant's made with the house of Israel, the house of Judah. Uh, that's, a, that's a good stunner for them as well. But back to the sacrifice... And it seems very few have that concept that we are still required to sacrifice because I believe they only think of it in terms of sacrificing animals, that, that type of blood atonement. But scripture says a little different. So Romans 12, we'll start in one. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So... Wow, you know, is this a way of sacrifice? We're to be a living sacrifice? Does this really count? Well, it's, it's, a, it's, it's the word instruction given to us. So we know it counts. Uh, let's go to Ephesians 5 for a little further word on the same subject. We'll start in verse 1 there as well. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love 
as Christ has also loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. So this indicates that as we walk in love, that's a sacrifice. That's an offering to the Lord. Let's uh, continue further on to uh, Philippians. Go to chapter 2. And we'll start in 16. Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and rejoice with you all. So Paul here saying that the faith of these church members is a sacrifice. Go on to chapter 4 in the same book. So it will be Philippians 4. And verse 17, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound and am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. So we see these examples in Scripture of sacrifice Amen. and how we do so in these new covenant times and aren't you thankful that uh, that it's laid out like this for us yes. and we'll go to one more in uh, Hebrews chapter 13 Verse 15, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So these are good scriptural examples of how we sacrifice in this new temple. But of course, uh, church world out there says, well, there's no new temple yet. We're still looking for one. So how do we reconcile that? How do we convey that maybe there is this third temple here already? And maybe, maybe we don't know it ourselves understand it because we're thinking in terms of these physical temples so let's go to an example just like we did in in John 2 uh, he said his body was that temple he raised it up in three days. Of course, they didn't understand it at the time, but he knew it was for later. 
that they would remember that, that they would understand it later and it would all, it, it would click with them. Those things would be brought back together in their minds. And of course he did, uh, he taught several lessons that way. Even when he plainly told them a lot of times, and it, that's our nature as well. We can be directly told time and again, and sometimes it just doesn't sink in until the events unfold and you really get a good picture of it in your mind's eye. And then, but at that point, you never forget it. But just as his spirit dwelt in that holy of holies in the temple of old. You know, it dwells in us now. Um, and let's let's go ahead and take a look. Uh, Jeremiah 31, and the the prophecy of this new covenant that was to be. You know, and it's it's very important to have uh, have this scripture memorized so you can lead people a lot of Christians are really astonished when you can take them to Jeremiah 31 and then show them how it's repeated in Hebrews 8:8 8, 8. Uh, but they're not directed there they're not taught so it's a good opportunity to bring something simple to them and let them be astonished at it and see what what they do with it we'll we'll start in verse 31 Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto, unto them, saith the Lord. So here we have this uh, reference to coming out of the land of Egypt, which is indicative now, this Feast of Tabernacles, uh, we were to teach our children. That's why they dwelt in the booths later, because of coming out of Egypt. Verse 33, But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write them in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. Now, that reminds me, uh, years ago I was working for this man and who was... 30 years my senior and uh, very knowledgeable in scripture he was a preacher it came out of uh, Nazarene church he separated himself from him because he he believed they were veering from the basic truths of scripture and so he he veered off of them and just started his own home fellowships and uh, it was it was an active preacher now, I asked him a simple question one day. I said, well, who is the new covenant made with? And I really didn't think I'd stump him with that. He's not an easy one to stump, that's for sure. But he thought it for a second, and he said, uh, well, the whosoever will. I said, well, that's not what Scripture says. And hey, this was an older man I respected too, and I wasn't going to be smart to him and so I just gently said well that's not what scripture says and you know he said well what does it say then 
So I repeated uh, this account in Hebrews 8.8. 8, and he listened to it. And he was thinking. And the comment he made that I remember is, uh, I don't know about that part about the law in your heart. So, you know, so, well, that, that's a big part of the new covenant, you know, and that's how we intuitively know right from wrong is he put those, those laws in our heart. And it's so self-evident to us. But here's this learned man that uh, otherwise is really well grounded in scripture that can miss some of these simple, basic, important points. Uh, so even even people like him, it's good to review some of these things and it, it may click with him as it did with him. So back to the temple. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 3. So if you're talking to somebody about this third temple coming, or they're mentioning it to you, because it's so ingrained in them, you can maybe start off taking them here. Chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, verse 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. And of course, that's the word naos, which is evident here. It's our bodies that's the temple. And what an astonishing and humbling truth to think he will, he allows his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. Amen. Uh, wow, that's this. Whenever I think of that, it, it's just so humbling. You think, He's going to use this wretched body. I know what I am. And for him to use us in that way is, is really incredible. So we need to embrace that. Another good witness is chapter 6 of the, of the same book. So 1 Corinthians 6, and we'll, we'll start with 18. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is within, without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and are not your own? And again, this is brought up in chapter 8. We'll go to verse 10. For if any man see thee which has, has knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? Now this temple here uh, is referring to those pagan temples when they talked about the meat and uh, that were sacrificed to idols. And Paul's basically saying, don't be concerned about that, but if it causes a brother to stumble, well, 
then uh, don't do it in front of him. Otherwise, don't worry about that. You're not defiling your, your temple. And continue on. So it, those are good scriptures to lead somebody to it. And then maybe they'll, they'll begin to think, well, yeah, maybe, maybe that's the third temple. So maybe they'll think of themselves, well, can I really count to three? I'm talking about this third temple yet to be, and there's already a third temple here since the new covenant. And so you're really talking about the fourth. And if your mind's there, well, what are you really thinking about the third? You're kind of, you're, you're disregarding the third temple, this, this temple, the body of Christ. Making light of it when we're focusing on some physical building Amen. that's off in the future that some antichrists are supposed to build. And so even on that note, if you have somebody that gets a little deeper in scripture, uh, this occurred to me one time by uh, reading the 70 weeks of Daniel. And, you know, it's pretty simple to understand you can take those 490 years and we've got a good starting point when they went back to rebuild and even those Pharisees understood that because that's why they were asking I believe John the Baptist are you the Christ you tell us plainly they were looking for the Christ to be revealed after that 69th week so that was 483 years into that prophecy of Daniel and here are these learned men that were evil though you know they understood the crisis to be revealed at the end of that 69th beginning of the 70th week and so they even asked Jesus himself and they wanted to know just like Herod wanted to know the Christ child being born so he could kill him so they understood those things and but just like you if you focus on this what they call the third temple, which would actually be the fourth, you're disregarding the three in the same way you could be disregarding that 70th week where, hey, the Messiah is revealed. He's cut off in the middle of the week. Um, I, I said that before some local people one time, and uh, you know, it didn't really cause a stir. They were so dead to it, it didn't even upset them. Um, and one man, it seemed to get his attention really well, but then they got to him a little later, because then the next week he came back with the Second Thessalonians. But uh, anyway, I, I gave him that idea that think about this: if you're if you're saying all oh, this seventieth week is off in the future, just like you're putting this temple off into the future, you're essentially denying that the Christ was here and cut off. And I said, you all know that it happened but essentially on the other side of it you're saying well it, it couldn't have happened yet because the 70th week isn't here yet so that's a dialectics they've been served up and goes right along with that double-minded thinking so we got to reconcile these points bring them together so we can understand them well ourselves they're they're still very simple and go to that, don't get off on rabbit trails of the counterfeits out there. You'll spend so much time whacking at those branches that you can't chop at the root. 
So I encourage you to focus on those things and you'll be better for it. You'll produce fruit. You're doing your duty and your station where the Lord put you. And praise be to the Lord. So Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time together, Father. We thank you for this gathering of this feast, Lord. Amen. May it honor you alone, Father, where the honor belongs. Father, we, we ask that you would help us and guide and direct us in every thought, every word, every step, Lord, to your obedience, to serve you, Father, with joyfulness and gladness of heart, Father. We thank you, we praise you for all things, Lord, in the name and the blood of our King and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.